Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, joining me today is uh, family therapist Darby Fox, LCSW. She's a licensed social worker. Her new book is Rethinking Your Teenager, Shifting from Control and Conflict to Structure and Nurture to Raise Accountable Young Adults. The Teenage Years. Parents fear this stage, dreading it even while watching their adorable toddlers explore the world. When it arrives, they try to control their teenager, in turn causing their teenager to push back more intensely. It's a natural instinct on both sides. Teenagers are changing in every way while trying to assert their independence, and parents are faced with the challenge of coming up with rules, expectations, and standards for behavior without a genuine understanding of what's happening. Focusing on creating mutual respect, Darby Fox offers a new model for the parent-child relationship, encouraging parents to let go of the attempt to control their teenager, while at the same time encouraging their teen's independence. She's appeared regularly on air and in print media, including Fox News and CBS, and has recently collaborated with Myth Media Group to develop a TV series, Fractured Families with Darby Fox. And she's also a pro bono health consultant to the American Red Cross. Welcome to the show, Darby. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's nice to have you on. And uh, we're talking about teenagers. Uh, It seems teenagers has always been synonymous with conflict. Nobody's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and obviously you agree and you've had a lot of experience and you've written the book and hoping to help us uh, parents, grandparents, families to be able to cope with this. I guess this problem ever since they began to define who teenagers are, which wasn't until when, like the 30s or 40s? I mean, there wasn't even a definition of teenagers. It's sort of been a yeah, it, more of, it was yeah. more, you know, sort of accepted in the 40s, and then we've continued to develop it, and actually what we know now about a teenager not being fully formed and having a different, you know, brain and, and having to look into that and see what that actually means psychologically and developmentally is really pretty new information. And so, and now you're talking about having, creating a win-win situation with our teenagers. Yes. Okay. So where do we start? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the way that we need to start is obviously as we, you know, we raise our kids from a younger age. And I want people to sort of think about, um, we have this notion that we're going to raise them to be, you know, good, responsible people are accountable, but we really don't think about what is the foundation that it takes in order to do that. What's the connection I need? And so what comes to mind most often is, okay, I'm a parent now. I'm going to have to have some rules, and I'm going to have to, you know, make sure my child follows these rules, and then the rest will happen. And what I like to offer people is to think in a little different terms about, what I need is actually the way we get people to listen to us and to change and develop is through a relationship. And that relationship is based on connection. So I want parents to start at an earlier age so thinking about how do I connect with my child to get across what I need, which is 
I want them to have a certain sense of uh, structure and agency in their life and a sense of identity. And how do I get that across? And most often, especially as kids get older and hit the teenage, it isn't about control. And what parents think is, as they get to teenage years, there is so many dangerous situations, conflictual situations, that what they really are going to do is make sure their child doesn't get in trouble, and they're going to control them. And what happens there is inherently we run into a struggle. Well, Darby, okay, we're talking, you say control, and what we really need to do is, or have, is connections. We need to be able to connect. Why is it that when we get to that point as parents, that we're not able to connect in terms of, well, we were teenagers once too. I know what kind of a teenager I was. I know what teenagers do. Uh, I I don't think that my kids are doing, probably trying to do the same things that I did. Maybe that's the scary part, but we can't, we don't, where is the disconnect, where's the disconnect there, I guess is the question. Well, I think that that is actually a great way to phrase it. What's the disconnect? And I think the disconnect is that we all kind of know that as adolescents, we did things that really uh, maybe we shouldn't have done or we were lucky a few times that we did something and it didn't become a problem. So we think as adults that we're going to try and prevent our kids from going that direction and that the way to do that is not allow certain things or to to really control their behavior. And actually, the way to elicit a different response is through connecting with them and saying more, you know what, I was there once and I did make mistakes. I expect you'll make mistakes, but this is kind of, I'm in a preview for you what could happen. And the reason I speak that way, and I want to be really clear um, To your listeners, they might think, oh, my gosh, this lady's just letting them do whatever they want. That is not at all what I promote. I promote a lot of structure, high structure, and high nurture. So if you have that and an adolescent knows what's expected of them and you preview it before, for instance, if they're going out at night, um, what will happen, this is your curfew, I need you to be in by this time, and what will happen if you don't, and then you follow through with it, you don't have to get into that conflictual place. You just have to be able to say, hey, I love you to death, but you didn't make your curfew. It's kind of life. You didn't, you didn't do your end of the bargain, so this is what happens. And not make it an issue of, um, like, a battle. And if we're able to do that, the connection builds. It's basically respect. Look, I asked you to do this. As long as you can follow through on that, we're good. If, if you can't respect my wishes, then we're going to struggle a little bit. And I think that that is a much, um, it's an approach that, again, can put the responsibility back on the adolescent. And it does two things. It allows them to think they have some free will, And then it allows them to know they kind of have control over whether there is a consequence or not, which is very different than something just being put upon you. So how far should you go? And let's say you're allowing your son or daughter to go to, not now, and when COVID, you know, not, I'm not talking about now. (laughs) (laughs) Pre-COVID. And everybody's in their room, but when we can go out again. And you want to go, you allowing them to go to a party. Now, I can think of like 
20 scenarios that can happen at this party, but I'm not going to say you can't go to a party. How much do you spell out for them? How much do you say, well, if you go to this party, there might be kids doing drugs, there might be kids drinking, there might, you know, all kinds of things you can think of. Do you talk about that beforehand? And and, and then talk, yeah. It's, it's really important that you talk about that beforehand. So what we do know now, and it's because we have been able to study the brain so much more, and we know the development of the adolescent brain, one thing that's incredibly significant, and if you take away nothing else, to remember that the adolescent brain is really primed for novelty-seeking, new things, and gratification, what is gratifying to me? And the reason our brains are, uh, an adolescent's brain is really primed for that is because we're getting them ready to be able to go out and live on their own. So it's really an evolutionary thing. So if we take that in mind and we know that they're going to jump right past the risk, you know, is this really risky? And they're going to go to the gratification or the newness of something. What we can do, we can't prevent them sort of doing the leaping to the end, but we can give them a preview of what it might look like. Um, One of my daughter's uh, friend's father used to always say to the kids before they go out, your life can change in 30 seconds. And, um, I mean, that sounds really harsh, but it's actually very true. So you want to give them that sort of preview. What are you going to do if someone wants you to get in the car and you know they've been drinking? You kind of have to help the adolescents think about that because in the moment they're going to jump right to, oh, I never thought about that. So we always hear that phrase, I didn't think about it. Parents are like, well, how could you not think about it? Well, they honestly didn't because they were thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so fun, or I, I, I want to get over to the party. They didn't think about the intermediate step. And since we know they're not going to, the connection piece comes in sort of saying, hey, I know it might look great or it might be fun, but you've got to think about these things. And, and they don't forget that. It, it pops up in their mind like, oh, my gosh, you know, what am I supposed to do now? And that's really an important connection. Um, in I that think that's piece. key advice. I mean, I had three boys, teenage boys. Yeah. To, they were all teenagers at the same time, almost. And that was one thing. I used to sort of put it in the sense, you know, information is power. Let me tell you my experience, because it doesn't always turn out right. And I think the kids respect parents more, thinking, you know, they sometimes teenagers see their parents as naive, or they have no idea what's going on. And if you give them an inkling as to, yeah, I do know what's going on, and uh, sort of building on what you just said, it, I know what's going on, and so when this happens, yeah, are you going to be prepared? What are you going to do? Because you're the one who has to be prepared. I'm not going to be there. You're going to be there, and you have to make those decisions. And it gives them power and and uh, control, I guess. And um, I, I think that's a key. I think that's that really, and, and we tend not to do that. You can't do it because exactly. I said so. Old stuff, you know. And you know, we see that um, frequently with kids, uh, especially the drinking thing is very tricky. Where they're, you know, our, our drinking age is twenty one, and by and large, drinking starts in high school, and. Yeah. A lot of times kids get in very dangerous places and they're afraid to elicit some help from adults because they're afraid about getting in trouble. And I think, you know, if we send them with the message, we don't approve of this, you're not okay with this, but I'm aware that it does happen. 
And this is what you need to do if you come across that situation. It's really important. It gives them what you just suggested, the message that, yeah, I do know what happens. So then they can kind of trust you more. And then they have a sense like, okay, like someone's got my back. Someone will be here. And I think that's another really important thing when we're raising adolescents. One of the primary things they feel is that their parents don't trust them or understand them. And if we can get them to know that actually we'd love to trust them and we do understand them. We've kind of been there before, although there may be some real differences like social media, et cetera. It, it gives them the ability to connect with us. Again, any reflective quality that you can use in parenting is super helpful. Trust, key. And I think that, that I mean, I think that is, yes, one of the other key points because, and I remember, you know, this is also my experience of telling the boys, I trust you, but I don't know about your friends. I really don't know what they do. Yes, they may, they, you know, I know certain things about them. I only can trust you. So I have to give you right. the information and then you can trust yourself in terms of the decisions you're going to make or not. You know, sort of, I, I think that's important that, that the trust is with them. Um, exactly. I, and I think it's important that we redefine for teenagers because I hear this nearly every day. They'll say, well, you don't trust me. You won't let me do that. Or that's not actually trust. That is if I'm not going to let you take an Uber at 10 o'clock across town to, you know, an, an underage party, that's not really about not trusting you. It's different. It's about me having a sense as an adult that this isn't going to really end well. And I think it's important that, that we also, you know, use a language, like put the right words with the right incident. That's not about trust. That's like foresight. That's like, hey, I've been there, not a great situation, and I'm not going to let you go. Although I trust you, it's a very different thing. It has to do with sharing your own experiences, right? right. I mean, which is what we've been talking about and, and being honest about those experiences. I think even one thing we're getting back to the, the party thing, or, you know, well, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, whoever's having the party. I say, I do know them, but I don't know exactly what their rules and regulations are. And, and you know, really just refocusing on your own kid. I think right. that, that's, yeah, getting back to your own. Um, but, so now, where do we go from here? I mean, in terms of we've given them the, we've tried to make this connectedness, and and then what? Because there's a lot more to teenagers uh, than, you know, telling them or allowing them to go certain places or not other places or making decisions. What else do we need to know in order? Uh, well, I, I think in the development piece, I think it's always very important that, um, we ask them questions about, like, well, what, what would be, especially if we're talking about consequences or things like that, it's like, well, what do you think would be a fair punishment? Taking the phone away usually is not highly effective. If, if you don't, you know, if you don't show up on time with the car, what would be effective? And, you know, would it be doing my errands on Saturday morning? Whatever that piece is. The way to get a connection with someone is to have some buy-in and, and have them have a sense that they're important. Their thoughts are important. And with adolescents, by and large, we don't ask them what they're thinking or what they see, what they observe. 
So before they go, and I don't want to just keep it to parties. It's so much more than that. But if we can spend time, um, I always have parents say, well, I try to talk to them. I asked them how school was today, and there was no response. They're like, uh, okay. I want parents to think about, well, when someone asks you about your day, that's the worst question in the world. It's sort of like, what do you say? You sort of say, yeah, it's fine. You don't go into the details. No one really cares about that. But if you ask an adolescent, like, if you notice something, if they like sports, you pick something up on TV, you ask a question about that. If you hear about someone at school that may have gotten in trouble over the weekend or something, you, you elicit their opinion. You say, what do you think about that? Or do you know that crew? Who runs around with that group? It not only gives you a lot of information about their world, it gives them the sense that you care about what they care about, which is very different than just the minute rules and the minutia of the day. Like, you know, how was bio class? Like, who cares? It elevates the conversation. It really, it it does. Right. I want to, I don't want, I hate to rush it along, but we'll, because we don't have so much time left, because I want to, now it's been seven months since the pandemic, since many of us have been inside and quarantined with our teenagers, many people have, how has that changed? I mean, the the whole context has changed, I would assume. Online learning, not being able to go out, being stuck in your room, both parents and the kids. So everything's changed. So yeah, everything's changed. And I, and I do think, you know, there's, there's been some very good pieces to the COVID incident, if we want to label it the COVID era, and there's been some really trying pieces with the separation and really um, limiting contact for adolescents, again, is, is very hard because it, they're, they're hardwired right now to be seeking their friends and their peers and basically exploring relationships of all kinds. So that's been very difficult, but the one thing we have seen that's been good is sort of a forced family fun, if you will. So if we're all in the same house, I do feel people have had to try and engage in different things. And we really have seen sort of a resurgence of puzzles and board games and maybe some cooking, some activities that are pretty grounded that you do with your kids, adolescents' kids, college-age kids. I've heard... um, families really enjoying that time with them because they haven't been able to just focus on telling them, you know, what time you have to be home or who you can't go with. And so I think that that has been a very positive piece of COVID, although anxiety and um, uncertainty have certainly been something that have been a greater worry for adolescents. I'm thinking we were sitting in our driveway having a drink before dinner with the kids and I said this reminds me of the 50s <laughs> like when you just <laughs> it's it's you know no one has a place to go so you yeah. you know you have your dinner in the yard and drinks and it's it's a which is the pot which was positive like no one's rushing off to something else because there's no place right. to rush and off to yeah exactly and I I think that was a very good thing um And I I would love for people as we, hopefully, I mean, it doesn't look like it's coming really soon, but hopefully by spring, things will open up more. And I really would encourage families to think about that piece of um, 
keeping some of that. Like, is there a time during the week or whatever? Some of that grounded just at home time, no devices. And don't let that feeling go away. Take that piece of COVID with you. And then I, I think the other part is I want parents to be aware that, again, um, you really still are looked up to but with children, adolescents, even college-age kids when things are uncertain or a little bit scary. And I think the parents need to set the example that, yes, this is a very uncertain time, but if we can look at things in a less linear way, and we can embrace sort of, okay, I'm not sure what's coming, but I'm going to be curious about it instead of worried about it. And if parents can really set that example, then I think it will put your adolescents at ease a little bit. If they can see that their mom and dad can really handle this, then they can. What about, and I've noticed, I know I, I, I do this show from New York's City and Albany. Right now I'm in Albany during the pandemic, and I've noticed that the local high school was – Open. I, I'm not exactly sure when they opened, but now had to close again because kids yeah. were having, you know, parties in the woods, drinking, right. or maybe, and and getting together and not really understanding. And then, 60 kids, I think it was, tested positive for COVID. Right. Why are, what? How do you, how do you mitigate that in this context of how the consequences are different? Yeah, the consequences are different, and it's it's very tricky. I think the most important piece of that is really for parents to try and implore the big group thing just doesn't work well. And um, the hardest part for the adolescent and college-age kids is, by and large, most of them don't get really sick. So it's really, again, something hard for them to grasp. Because they're jumping to the piece about gratification. Won't it be fun? They don't look at the risks, the inherent risks involved. And that's where I think um, parents could do a better job, families right now, in sending that message. Like, I get it. It's not you aren't going to get terribly sick by and large. However, you don't know how it can affect other people, and it's just not worth taking. And I think that that's something we can do a better job of mitigating. Um, I see that with the high schools around here, too, where, you know, they, they were very open, and then they'll go f- through a few days of being closed, where we just had Halloween. I think it's important that we still ask our kids to have a certain level of responsibility. And that's one thing I want to make clear is I'm never a proponent of shirking responsibility and, and off. And I think that we could do a better job of saying to our teenagers, I expect you not to do this. I expect you not to go into the woods and party with a group of 60 kids. Like, I know you want to, but really life's not about what you want to do. And it's kind of time that you take on some of that responsibility. And if we show them we expect a certain level of responsibility and, you know, for lack of a better word, adult-like behavior, then, you know what, by and large, what I love about adolescence is they usually come through. Yeah, I think, as you say, if you point out perhaps that the stakes are higher, the stakes are different now, It's it's they're not the same as they were when you go and you gather with 60 other kids and someone takes COVID home to their parent or anybody. Yeah. You don't know where it's going to go. So, the, the, yes, it's important to 
to do that, and I and one last question, because we only have a couple minutes, if you can answer quickly, because they do have access to more information in terms of what the stakes are. They have the internet. They have more information right. than just what their parents are telling them, um, which I, I think can be a really good thing, if you can comment on that. Uh, they, they do have more information than what their parents are telling them, um, but I think what happens with everyone is we need to connect it to a personal experience, and then that's when they can grasp it. So whether it's the high school gym teacher and his wife is going through chemotherapy and we need to be really careful because if he brought it into his house, it could be catastrophic or whatever that piece is, you have to... You have to bring it in. It can't just live on the Internet or on social media. It has to be personalized. We are experiential as human beings, and particularly the younger we are, the more we have to experience something in order to grasp it. 30 seconds left. Uh, Great advice. Darby, great talking to you today, too. And I've been talking to Darby Fox, author author of Rethinking Your Teenager, website or websites we can go to for more information? Yes. So you can go to Darby at DarbyFox.com for a website for any information, um, Instagram, which is Darby underscore Fox. And uh, the book is available, Rethinking Your Teenager, on Amazon or through Oxford University Press. Great. Thanks so much again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yep. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 